Well, good morning. Man, what a great morning it has been already. It's good to see you guys here today. And for those of you that may not know, we are one church in two locations. And uh, right now, our uh, Knoxville location is meeting. They're in two services. And so if you know anybody in Knoxville, uh, send them their way. Man, we are uh, excited about summer. There's a lot of amazing things happening in the life of our church. And so if you haven't heard about summer Bible studies, encourage you to go to our website, stop by the Connect Center today and ask them about that. We've got some great studies. Someone, I'm going to lead one on uh, how to share your faith. If you've ever been uh, kind of asking, like, how do I talk to people who have a different political view than me that are, you know, pro-abortion, that are pro-LGBTQ stuff? How do we engage? That is going to be an opportunity for you to learn. It's going to be a really good, good study. There are other studies uh, that uh, that one's not uh, uh, suiting you. There are other ones that you can do. So I hope you'll um, check those out. If you've got a Bible, let's go to Exodus chapter three. Uh, I hope you are going to bring your Bible in this series. It's really cool to go through a study like this and have like a notebook where you're taking notes so that the end of these 11, 12 weeks, you know, you're, you're, you're compiling all the things that God's spoken to your heart. And then, you know, a year from now, you go back and you read that stuff and it's just like, oh my gosh, you know, God reminds you and, and, uh, helps you grow in that. So I hope you'll do that. But we're studying the life of Moses in this series. It's called Road to Redemption. And as we see, uh, as we're going to see today, God is going to call Moses to lead his people out of bondage and into freedom. God, you see, always uh, leads us to redemption. God, in fact, uh, wants you to experience his redemption today. It's, it's, it's like this, no matter how your story began, no matter where, where you're at today, God wants to redeem you. He wants to redeem your marriage. He wants to redeem your career. He wants to redeem you financially. He wants to redeem your faith. See, God is a redeeming God, but we've got to get off of the side roads that we often take, and we've got to get on God's road to redemption. Um, by the way, our kids' ministry is also going through the life of Moses. So if you have kids, uh, you know, you're going to get, if you follow the FC Kids uh, social media pages, we give the parent cues there. So you'll be able to uh, journey with them as well, asking them questions all throughout um, this series. So that's exciting as well. Uh, has anybody ever heard, don't raise your hand, um, has anybody ever heard God speak to them Um I personally have never heard an audible voice from God, um, but uh, I do believe God speaks to us through his word. I do believe that God speaks to us in our prayer life. I believe God speaks to us um, when we're listening to, to, to music, sometimes worshipful music. Um, I have heard sermons and, and, and feel the presence of God and, and, and feel like God is speaking directly to me. Like um, maybe, you know, people tell me all the time, you were speaking right to me, you know, that week or on this day or whatever it was. And so we, we sense that God is speaking to us in these various ways, the conversations that we had, books that we uh, read, perhaps where we're learning uh, important truths, especially uh, the word of God. But even though we hear and sense God speaking to us, sometimes we ignore it or sometimes we run from it. Uh, sometimes we make up excuses as to why we can't do what we sense or feel that he's calling us to, to, to do something a certain way. And I certainly can relate to that. I mean, I remember um, my uh, college experience, I was, I was running from God's call in my life. I, I, I had faith in Christ at that time. I, I sensed on a deep level that, that God wanted me to go into ministry, but I ran from that call and, and I gave God a lot of reasons and a lot of excuses as to why I 
couldn't become a pastor. I, I shouldn't be in ministry. And, and uh, I remember going to several interviews that, that uh, I was trying to go down the business road and, and uh, finance world. And so I was interviewing after college and, and uh, I, I just remember like God would shut doors and, and I would try to kick them down. And, and uh, as I'm doing this, I'm just internally, I just had this, like uh, this restlessness that, that I was just kind of chasing my tail. Like you've seen a dog chase her tail. Like I just had this inner, it just wasn't peace. It was, it, I, I wouldn't, characterize it as chaos, but I would just call it confusion. And I remember one day after leaving, you know, some interviews and just having a conversation with God, the radio was turned off and I'm just driving down the road. And, and I was yet again, giving God every reason that I could think of as to why I couldn't go into ministry, why I shouldn't be a pastor, how I couldn't do it. And I wasn't good enough. And, and I went through this entire list. It's a list that I had created and I'd gone through many, many times with God. And for whatever reasons on that day, at the end of it, I said, but God, if you want me to be a pastor, then I'll do it. And it was almost like immediately in that moment as I'm driving that a sense of all of this confusion and, and inner turmoil, God's spirit just, just spoke to me. And I didn't hear an audible vo voice, but I just felt the presence of God in the car as I'm driving that day that I hadn't really experienced until that moment. And it was in that moment that a, a peace ushered into my heart and, and a, a confidence rushed into my, my heart. And, 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 and I almost like got excited and, and I was like for the first time excited about the opportunity to do that. Whereas before I was, I was not. And, and then that kind of followed with this wave of emotion. And I had to pull over and just, you know, have a moment with God there where I just felt his presence. And, now, I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that, but I would bet that you've experienced something where God has spoken to you and, and you've, you've echoed back your fair share of excuses as to why you shouldn't be able to do what he is calling you to do. You've said things like, I'm not good enough or I'm not qualified or, um, you know, I, I don't have what it takes. And some of you, I believe that God is calling you to commit your life to Christ and and you've got your list of excuses as to why you're not good enough to do that or, or, or whatever those reasons are. You, you've got your list. Some of you are, are being called to full-time ministry. Um, you, you, you're being called to, to serve God in a full-time vocational ministry. Like he's calling you to be a pastor and you've got your list of reasons why you can't do that. This is why I love the Bible because the Bible is so honest like if it was written by men, it would make Moses out to be this, you know, this perfect guy, but it doesn't. It's, it, it honestly gives us a picture of a man that's just like you and me. Like he's an ordinary guy. He had ordinary parents. He had an ordinary kind of deal at that time. And, and there was nothing unique or nothing special about him at all. And um, in, in chapter two, we're not going to read it, but just to kind of catch you up from where we left off last week, Moses is adopted. Uh, by uh, Pharaoh's daughter. He has the best education the world had to offer. He, he was raised as an Egyptian, right? He had the best medicine, the best of everything uh, in Pharaoh's palace. And so he gets the education. And, and then when he's 40 years old, he sees one of his fellow Hebrew, one of his fellow Israelites uh, getting picked on by an Egyptian. And so I love it. He steps in and he sticks up for the guy. They end up getting in a fight. He ends up hitting him so hard he kills the dude. And I don't love that part, but I love the, the intervention part there, right? Um, he's sticking up for a guy getting bullied. Um, and so 
when Pharaoh finds out what he did, uh, Pharaoh's after him. And so he leaves and he goes to a place called Midian. When he gets to Midian, there's this rough group of shepherds that are picking on these women. And again, he steps in and he fights them off and he gets in good with their, their father and he ends up living with them and staying there. And, and uh, he ends up marrying one of the, one of the daughters there and, and um, he begins to live his life. And so over the next 40 years, God is preparing him to be his leader. Let that settle in for a minute. 40 more years. He's 40 when he leaves. For 40 more years, he's in Midian. You say, why there? Well, God's preparing him. God's preparing him in the desert. He's, he's learning how to survive in the desert, right? He's going to be leading God's people into the desert. And so he's preparing him. He, he uh, is a shepherd, so he's caring for these sheep. And God's going to lead him to care for his people, just like he cares for his sheep. God is um, growing him as a, as a man because he gets married and, and marriage changes a man and, and uh, he has children and, and children change a man. For the first time, there's something more important than themselves. And so God is using all of these things to grow him. And, and so what, what I want to start off with uh, before we read this scripture is this, when the man is ready, God's call is given. Let, let me say that again. When when the man is ready, when the woman is ready, God's call is given. And so notice I didn't say when the man thinks he's ready or when the woman thinks she is ready, God's call is given. No, when God gives the call, the man is ready. And some of you needed to hear that today. When the call is, is given, you're ready because God is ready. And so whatever it is you're sensing God calling you to do, and, and you're going you're gonna to run that by people. When I was called to ministry, I ran it by my dad, and I ran it by other spiritual leaders in my life to affirm that calling. I don't want to just say, oh, God's called me to do this, and then I, you know, I run out. It's like, no, I, I sense that. I run it by my spiritual leaders, and they affirm that, and then, then, then I go. Some of you are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and excusing, giving excuses, giving excuses why you can't do what God wants you to do today. I hope this message helps. In chapter three, verse one, let's dive in. Now Moses was keeping the flock. He's a shepherd of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush has not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people and the children of Israel out of Egypt. So God hears their cry. 
right? So if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to, to notice as we read this text is that God cares about suffering people. God cares about suffering people. God knows exactly what you're going through. God knows exactly what you have been experiencing. God knows exactly every situation that you have found yourself in, right? In verse, um, in, in this first part here, he says, I have seen their affliction. I have heard their cry and I know their suffering. So be reminded that God knows what you have been through. God knows what you are going through. In verse eight, he says, I have come down to deliver them. You see, God has a road of redemption for you as well. He cares about your suffering. He cares so much about the suffering of his people that he sent his son, Jesus, to die in your place, providing a way for God to forgive you of your sin and restore your relationship that was broken because of your sin with creator God. And if you cry out to him today, he will hear you. He will save you. And some of you need to hear this. Some of you are, are waiting for this burning bush experience, some miracle, some sign. And the sign has already been given. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross for your sin. And I proclaim that gospel to you today. Why are you waiting? Give your life to Jesus today. This is the road of redemption and to redemption that God has already provided to us. Without Christ, we're in bondage to our destructive behaviors. We're in bondage to selfishness. All we care about is ourselves. We're in bondage because we're separated from God and held captive to sin. But God cares about our suffering. And so he sent Jesus. God cared about the suffering of the Israelites. And so they sent, uh, he sent Moses to be the redeemer, to be the leader, to rescue his people out of that bondage. And, and so here's the second thing I want you to know. God calls ordinary people to lead. Moses is an ordinary guy, right? Ordinary parents. He's or, for the last 40 years living in the middle of nowhere in the country, in the desert. He's a shepherd, ordinary job, ordinary marriage, ordinary family. Everything is just ordinary, but God calls ordinary men and women to lead. He's keeping his flock. God calls out to him. God draws him in verse two. Verse four says, the Lord saw that he turned aside and then he spoke. I don't wanna read too much into that, but I do think it's interesting that God calls out to him or speaks to him when he turns aside, the scripture said. So when he looked, when he turns aside, then God spoke. And so you're not a robot. God is not like making you do all of these things, right? Moses has a responsibility to follow. He has a responsibility to seek. And, and, and as God was performing this miracle through this burning bush, he turns aside and then God speaks. In verse two, it says, the angel of the Lord spoke. Right, and it's interesting. I, I think uh, a lot of times when the Bible talks about uh, God speaking in the Old Testament, theologians call this theophanies. And it's, it's essentially when God appears to people in the Old Testament, the idea is that it is actually the representation of God, which means that it would be Jesus that's actually speaking to Moses at this time. And, and so we're not 100% sure on what that would look like, but in, when the verse says that God speaks to him, then, then to me, it, it is Jesus because if it was just an angel, it would have said, then the angel said to, just like the angel appeared to Mary and, or, or the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, right? 
And so it would have probably said the angel said this, but it, but it doesn't. The scripture says that God said to him. And so perhaps this is Jesus speaking to him and, 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 and this bush is burning and, and not being consumed. And so this is some type of natural like miracle, right? That drew the attention of Moses. And I know some people have problems with the Bible because uh, there are miracles in the Bible. I can't believe the Bible, there's all these miracles and that, that, that can't be true. But if you believe in God, if you believe in a God that created the world, right, then that means he created nature, he created science, he created uh, everything in, in, in physics, he created all things, then it logically makes sense that if God created nature, then he has power to move it through miracles um, and, and, and definitely in nature do whatever he chooses to do. That's just logical. If you believe in a God who created nature, then obviously this God has power to manipulate nature in whatever way he sees fit. The angel of the Lord speaks and says this in verse five, do not come any closer, take off your sandals, probably as a sign of respect, take off your shoes. And, and many cultures taking your shoes off when you enter someone's home is, is part of respect. It's part of humility, right? And so this is probably a, a sign of humility and definitely uh, slows us down when we take our shoes off, right? We're a little bit more careful. And, and, and the reason is because our feet are vulnerable to whatever we're, we're stepping on. And so um, I think it's a sign of respect. In verse five, he says, you're standing on holy ground. Now the place itself is not holy, it's, it's a mountain, but it's holy because God's presence is there. And so, you know, this building is not holy because, you know, God lives in these four walls. Um, no, it's holy because God's presence is here when, when God's people gather, right? So buildings aren't holy, but God's presence, when it is there, makes a place holy. To be holy means to be set apart. And so God is holy. It means that he is set apart from creation. He's in a class of his own. Set apart means that God is not in nature. You know, like some new age beliefs like that uh, movie Avatar, like the God of that word is like in all of creation and all of nature. To be holy means that God is separated. He is separate from creation, right? He is a unique being. He is not just in nature. He is over nature. He is distinct from nature. There is nothing like God. To be holy means that God is absolutely morally pure. His holiness is not just part of who he is. It's everything about him. It's his very essence, right? The holiness of God then is revealed in everything that he does, everything that he says, everything that he thinks, everything that he speaks, everything about God is holy in every way. Like our view of God sometimes is kind of pigeonholed and small. This God is holy and he reveals himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hides his face. He is afraid. The Bible doesn't say that, that he was the God of Jacob or the God of Abraham. He says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac and Jacob. And in verse 10, <clears throat> he says, I will send you. See, God doesn't deliver people by just the mere snap of his divine fingers. God sends a leader. God sends a woman into the office place. God sends a man into the courtroom. God is calling men and women women to be leaders, 
right? He doesn't just snap his fingers and save everybody. He doesn't just snap his fingers like Thanos and kill everybody. Like he calls you, an ordinary man, an ordinary woman, a young person to an assignment that is bigger than ourselves, right? We learned in the last series that our purpose is to love God, love others by sharing the great commission. That is big picture purpose. We exist to glorify God. We do that by loving him and loving others, sharing his truth. God is gonna give you that calling as a believer. That's first and foremost, but then he gives you an assignment. And the assignment for Moses is to be the deliverer, to lead the people out of bondage. He's gonna give you an assignment. Maybe that's to be a teacher. Maybe that's to be a mom, a dad. Maybe that's to be a doctor, a lawyer, a realtor. God has given you an assignment. My assignment is to lead Foothills Church. Assignments change. Big purpose never changes. But when he calls you to an assignment, it is not just so that you can earn a paycheck. The assignment is given to you so that you would be an influence as a leader. Leadership is just simply influence, isn't it? And so I'm influencing other people because some people say, I'm not a leader. I'm not gonna lead God's people out. No, leadership is influence. And so when you step into that environment, that vocation, that assignment, right? You are, you are influencing those around you to know who Jesus is, to love God, serve him, helping them find their purpose, right? That assignment is also part of your ministry. My vocation is a part of that assignment, but I also have a ministry. That's part of my assignment. What's God calling you to, what, what area is God calling you to serve in? We have lots of places for you to begin to exercise the giftedness that God has given to you in ministry. And he's given you an assignment. You see, God is searching for people who are willing to lead others out of bondage. He's searching for you. He's calling you, right? Part of your vocation is gonna be helping people in that way. And part of your ministry is a part of that. And what's really cool is when they kind of all exist together. God cares about the suffering of his people and he does something about it. He sends Moses to deliver them, right? God's gonna do the same for the people that you work with in your family, in your neighborhood. They're in bondage to sin and he's gonna send you. The question is, are you gonna accept that call? And what most of us do when we hear that is we come up with a list of excuses as to why we can't, why we're not qualified, why we don't know enough, why we don't have the skills Right, we have all the excuses, right? And this is why I love about Moses because he gives a list of excuses here. Let's go through them today. Let's see if they resonate with anything that you're kind of telling God today as to why you can't do whatever it is you feel in your heart he's calling you to do, right? Let's take a look. Excuse number one, he says, who am I? But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I, God? Like, I, I'm a nobody. I got nothing, man. I'm a shepherd. I got no money. I got no influence. I killed a guy. Like, that's on my record. They're, they're, they're going to remember that one. <laughs> like, everything about this call for, for, for Moses felt wrong because he was not qualified, right? Some of us feel like we're not qualified. We feel like we're not good enough, like we're the wrong leader, right? He, he probably felt like he was out of touch, and so we all kind of begin to feel that. Maybe you've said that. You want to, maybe even starting with your commitment to God. You want to commit to God and you want to give your life to Jesus. But at the same time, it's like, I don't think he can forgive me for what I've done. Or I don't think I know enough. Or I don't think my sins can be actually forgiven. And so that, that doubt is there. But God's call on your life 
isn't a mistake. All of us have questioned who we are. God, I'm not good enough. I've got too many flaws. I'm, I've messed up too much. Who am I? I mean, we got a whole generation of young people thinking, who am I? Like, we don't know who we are. And so let's just latch on to sexuality. And I like to have sex with this person. So that's who I am. And it's like, wow, wow. God is calling you and I to help bring some common sense and some some science and some biology into the world again. And he's calling us not just to argue and not, he's not calling us to condemn and to hate but to have conversations. He didn't go, he, he didn't say, you're gonna go to Pharaoh and you're gonna, you're gonna write some signs and you're gonna march around the city and, and burn things. He said, you're gonna go to Pharaoh and you're gonna have a conversation. You're gonna tell him what I told you. That's it. And his instinct was, who am I? I'm not good enough. It's the same thing probably you've done. Who? I, I can't have this conversation. What, what, what am I gonna say? Like, listen, you've got to discover your identity and your identity is not in your sexuality. It's not in your political views. Your identity is found in who the word of God says you are as a child of God. And so you're gonna struggle your entire life and your marriage as a parent, as a business leader, as, a, as, as whatever God has called you or whatever you're doing in your vocation, you're gonna struggle until you begin to accept the identity that the word of God says you already have in Christ. And so that's part of our discovery phase, right? 400 years before this moment, God had promised to bring Israel out of Egypt. And he promised this in Genesis 15 to Abraham. And now finally, God is sending Moses to to make it all come to be. And so in verse 12, he says, I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna, uh, and you're gonna serve God on this mountain. So part of God's response when we say, who am I? I'm not good enough is God says, I'm gonna be with you. That's all you need. I'm with you in the conversation. I'm with you when you're working on your marriage. I'm with you when you go to work. I'm with you. He also makes a promise. You're gonna worship with the people on this mountain. That's the promise. It's gonna work. Like it's gonna work. Just like Jesus says in, in, in the New Testament, he tells us that, that when we are, when we're before people and they're questioning us about our faith, he says the Holy Spirit will give you words. He's going to be with you. He's going to give you words. And, and, and so this is the promise to Moses. It's going to work. There are many promises in the Bible. God promises to provide when you, when, when you give him your resources and finances and you, and you allow him to control that. He, he's going to provide for you. God's going to provide in every way. He's going to bless you when you're faithful. He's going to hear your prayers. The promises are endless in the Bible that he's gonna, he's gonna give you words. He's gonna provide what we need. Who am I, God? Well, God says, I'm with you. That's all you need. The second excuse that Moses gives is, who are you? <laughs> Verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. Moses asked a question that I would have asked if I saw a burning bush. Like, what, who, who are you again? And, and, and God responds here in, 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 in giving his personal name. The first time this name was revealed in the history of the world, it was a personal name. 
It wasn't just the normal names. Not, I don't want to say normal, but the other names that the Hebrew people, the Israelites, would have identified God as. And so one word uh, that is translated as God is the word Elohim. And so in the beginning and in Genesis, when the word God is used, it's the Hebrew word Elohim. And that really is used in the context of, of God as creator, supreme being. Another word, Hebrew word is the word Adonai. And so that word is translated as, as Lord in Hebrew as well. But this word is different. This is, this is the first time this word ha- would have been used in the Old Testament. And it's, it's really, there's no vowels. It's just all consonants. And so you probably have seen this word come up in some worship songs or people talk about this word and, and you might be a little confused, but the word when we transliterate it into English is the word Yahweh. And essentially the word Yahweh is used here. This is the very personal, unique name of God. And when translated, it, it, it means I am, I was, and I will always be. And so he clarifies by saying, when they ask you who sent, me, who sent you to them, say, I am sent you, right? The great I am. I was, I am, I will always be. It's a powerful, powerful word. People have written about this for the last 2,000 years. You can do your own personal study of that word. But the, the, the I am, here's what we need to know. The I am of the burning bush now stands fully declared in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who said, I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the God man, the eternal I am, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the great I am is the self-existent one who has no beginning, who is from everlasting to everlasting. And his name is Jesus Christ. Come on, church, let's worship him today. Come on now. And so we today get to experience the personal work of God through Jesus Christ. He did not have to do that for you, but he cares about your suffering and he wants to bring you out of that suffering. Moses learned the personal name of God and he said, I am. What's your name? I am. And that's really, really important for us, especially in our culture today. Because when we hear that God's name is I am, obviously that means that I am not. But what happens in our life is that we step into the place of God. And when you make him second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and so on, you're essentially saying, I am the center of the universe. I am going to live my life the way that I want to live. I am in control. You're not I am. I am. And what Moses had to learn and what you and I have to learn is I am not. He was, he is, and he will always be. He is holy and separated. He is morally the existence of purity, right? From beginning to end. This is the God that we serve. And so Moses had to learn this. You and I have to learn this. And that's his second excuse. Who are you? 
But then next, let's read verses 4, 1 to 5. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And I love this part. Moses ran from it. (laughs) How many of you would run from it? Anybody in the room? Snake, I'm out. And Moses ran from it. And it became a serpent. He ran from it. Verse four, but the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. See, the excuse is, what if they don't listen? God, what what if they don't listen to me at work? What if my kids don't listen? (laughs) What if my friends don't listen? What if the world doesn't listen, right? This is the excuse that he gives. What if people don't believe? And God says, what's in your hand? And this is a great question for you and I today. When God asks a question, it's not for his benefit. He already knows the answer. It's for your benefit. So what's in your hand today? For Moses, it was a staff. And the staff represented at least three things. It represented his identity, right? He, he, part of his identity is that he was a shepherd. And shepherds walk around and they have a staff, just like a doctor might be symbolized by a stethoscope. A, a, a shepherd was symbolized by a staff. And not only that, but it also represented his, his resources because this, this is... All he had, right? This is his, his, his uh, sheep and, and, the, and the animals that he had represent his resources. It represents everything that, that his income really represents. And, and then thirdly, it represents his influence because he used the staff to influence the sheep to go this way, to go that way, and even to protect them. And so I think it represents his identity, his income, his influence. And God is saying, Moses, I want you to take your income, your identity, your influence, and I want you to lay it down before me. I want you to surrender it before me. And I think part of the reality is when he, when, when he lays it down before God, he surrenders it to God. God makes a dead piece of wood come alive. And then when he picked it back up himself, the, the serpent turned back into a dead piece of wood, a staff. And I think part of the reality for some of us is that We are holding on to one, two, maybe several things in our life. Our identity, our resources, you know, our income, our influence. This is mine. And God says, as long as you hold it in your own hand, it's going to be dead. But if you lay it down before me, I'll make it come alive. Some of you needed to hear that today. Maybe maybe it's your, your income that you're holding on to. It's all for me. I spend it all on me. Right? And you're not following what Scripture teaches about giving or, or, or surrendering your resources before God. And, and we're afraid. We're, or who are you, God? That yeah, I, don't, I don't trust that you're going to be able to take care of me if I lay this down before you. And he says, this is what worship is. This is what surrender looks like. It is laying everything about who we are before God. It is laying our identity before him. It's laying our income before him and our influence down before him. And when we do that, He makes dead things come alive. He makes dead relationships come alive. 
He makes your resources come alive, not in the sense that, oh my gosh, you're going to be rich. No, but, but now you are investing in eternity. Some of you have never done that. You've never given a dollar to this church, even though we care for your kids every week and even though we're baptizing thousands of people and even though, you know, this is a place where you call home and, and you get fed every week. It's, it's, it's something's out of whack and it's because you've taken it and you've not surrendered it. And you've got excuses as to why you don't give, right? You don't give because I don't trust the leadership or I don't know what they do. Listen, the, the excuses are endless. I get it. I get it. But it's not until you come to a place to where you are willing to lay everything down before the Lord will he make those dead things come alive. From this point on, it's not called a staff. From this point on, the Bible calls it the rod of God. And so it's the rod of God that parts the Red Sea. It's the rod of God that turns the Nile into blood. It's the rod of God that is struck against the desert rock and where water flows for the people. What's in your hand today? Right? What, what are you holding on to? I believe God's calling us to surrender it. Let's hit the last two here. This fourth excuse is I've never been a good speaker. Verse 10, but Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. <laughs> Can't speak. Then the Lord said to him, who is it that made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? <laughs> Don't. Good point, God. I'm not a good speaker. Maybe God's calling you to be a small group leader. Maybe God's calling you to disciple young people and get involved in our ministries to pour in, to make disciples. And it's like, I don't know if I can say it well enough. Who made your mouth? Right? Who, who made you and created you? Well, God did. If he's called you to it, he's, he's going to gift you to do it well. But we've got the excuse. And then here's the fifth excuse. Can't you find somebody else, God? Can't you find somebody else? In verse 13, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. We need people to pour into kids on Sunday morning. Oh, please, God, send somebody else. We need people to pour into these teenagers who are lost and broken. God, send somebody else. We need Men and women to mentor young marriages and, 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 and mentor people who come to faith in Christ. And, oh, Lord, send somebody else. The list is endless of, of, of all the things that we say. Like, this is, these are opportunities for us to serve God, pray with people, lead small groups, right? Invite people to church, share our faith with, with our friends and our family, have conversation uh, conversations about spiritual things. Oh, God, send somebody else. I'm not good enough. I'm not eloquent. I don't know who I am. I don't know who you are. When are we going to finally give up the excuses and trust that God is going to come through? Trust for the first time, maybe, that God is actually going to use us. God is actually going to come through on the promises that he gives to us. Immaturity says, find somebody else. Somebody who has surrendered all to God says, whatever I need to do to get it done, I'll do it. So that's my question for you today. What's God calling you to? And have you identified the excuses that you're giving to him? Maybe you're just ignoring him. You haven't even got to the excuse part yet. <laughs> but some of us are given those excuses. What are you 
What do you think would happen today? Imagine with me a year from now, if you said, you know what, I, I'm gonna take this to heart. Like Moses, you know, I've got the excuses. What would your life look like one year from now if you finally surrendered everything to God? If you finally said, God, I'm gonna lay it down before you. Maybe that is committing your life to Jesus for the first time. And so that would be the first step. For, for those of you that already know Jesus, you've committed your life to him, but you're resisting the calling that he has on your life and, 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 and how he's pursuing you to, 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 to lead in some way. And, and you've been resisting that. What would your life look like if you said yes to him? Fast forward 12 months, what would your marriage look like? What would your business look like? How would you be leading your team differently if today you laid it down before him and let it, let God pick it up, make it come alive? What would your faith look like if you, if you just laid it down and said, okay, I'm gonna trust you, Jesus, that, that you're the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through you? What would your life look like 12 months from now? You see, I think God is calling us to that. I wanna lead you in a prayer today. Some would be a prayer to commit your life to Jesus. Some would be a prayer to commit to whatever God's calling you to do today. And, and I, I wonder if there's anybody in the room or anybody in Knoxville that would say, yeah, I need to take that step of faith. Let me ask you to bow your heads. If you need to commit your life to Christ, just simply say this to him, not a magical prayer, just a first conversation with God. If you truly cry out to him, just like the Israelite people, truly cry out to God today, for forgiveness. He will forgive you. He will save you. So you just simply say, God, I confess that I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Forgive me of my sin. I believe he rose from the grave. Right here, right now, I commit my life to Jesus. Everything that I am, I lay down before you today, God. Come into my life and save me. Anybody in Knoxville, anybody in this room, just slip up your hand. Anybody pray that prayer? I just prayed that, Trent. I just want you to know I prayed it. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? I saw one, I saw two. Some in Knoxville, I'm sure. How many of you, the rest of you, how many of you need to pray this prayer? Maybe you just need to say this to God, surrender to him. Just say, God, I surrender it all to you today. If you want me to go, I'll go. Tell him, if you want me to go, I'll go. If you want me to serve, I'll serve. If you want me to give, I'll give. If you want me to lead, I'll lead. If you want me to preach, I'll preach. Lord Jesus, you've heard our hearts. You know every situation in the room today. God, we are asking that you would give us faith. Faith that despite the fear and the excuses, we would stand up and courageously follow you wherever you would lead us. And so God, I pray that you are raising up men and women right now in Foothills Church, not only to walk with you as Lord and Savior, but also to walk with you as a leader, 
to walk with you as a disciple maker, to walk with you as someone filled with the Holy Spirit, ready and willing to do everything that you call us to do each and every day. God, lead us. God, call us. Help us, God, to be faithful today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.